Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Zax. Ethan, happy holidays. It's the holiday season now, right? Thanksgiving's done, and it's officially Christmas. Yeah, I had a, a lovely Thanksgiving. My wife and I hosted both of our parents. It's very fun. I I get very reflective this time of year, and I took the opportunity to write a little thankful piece for Channel Fireball for CFB Pro. So that'll be coming out uh, probably the same day this podcast releases on Monday. Um, so that was nice to take a little, I don't know, take stock of of what's good in your life. I feel like we don't, we all don't do that maybe enough. I, I certainly don't. I, definitely have the tendency to focus on the negative. So that was good. I had a really, really nice weekend. How about you? That's good. That's very healthy. I turn into a Grinch around this time of year. <laughs> Holidays are yeah. not my favorite. Although I will say I had a great Thanksgiving with my family. Uh, one of the best Thanksgivings I've had in a long time. So if I can ride that momentum into the Christmas season, I'll be doing good. Awesome. How is uh, How are things in the magic world for you? I am stuck in diamond-ish. I don't know. I'm playing the game right now of... So the mythic qualifier for December is draft, right? Yep. So I really want to be in the top 1200. So I was stuck in diamond for forever, um, rocking about a 54% win rate uh, in best of one, which is not great. Usually I'm around 60% average, I think. Mm-hmm. And so my plan right now is I'm one win away from mythic and I'm sandbagging. And I'm going to hop in at the last second, just like they intended the rank system to work and hope I come in in the top 1200. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Fingers crossed for you there. So I've actually been playing some best of three in the meantime, and it's been very healthy, very fun. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Come on over to uh, best of three. The water's fine. Yeah, I haven't gotten to play as much magic this weekend as I would have liked, um, but I am excited about the qualifier next month, which I should be okay for. I did a few best of one drafts to like climb my rank. Um, I think I think I should be okay. And I'm hoping that I get to play in the draft open next weekend, though I will be out of town. And so it'll be tough. I might like have to just steal away from the friends we're visiting for a few hours on Saturday to do a couple runs on my phone. I'm not sure how I'll how I'll navigate that. Are you going to be able to play? I heard you talking on stream that you might not be. It's going to be dicey. I mean, I can definitely play on day one. Day two, we have a band concert. So I'm gonna have to like get up early, play some games, go do the band concert and hope I still have time when I get back from the band concert. So we'll see. That's tough. Yeah. Bummer. Um, but very, very exciting. So for folks who are not uh, not aware of that, there's a couple sweet limited events and they're going to be draft on Arena. That's so crazy. I'm excited for for all that and to see a bunch of folks do well in those, grab those top cash prizes or maybe even get those mythic invitation qualifications. OK, so today we're going to be still talking about Crimson Vow, still, I think, doing some big picture-ish stuff because the format is so, you know, quote unquote, bomby. We wanted to talk about, you know, the Prince cards in the format, the Prince nature of the format and the pivot nature of the format that sort of is the other side of that, the yin to the yang of, hey, you know, I'm going to open this bomb. How much do I hold on to it for dear life? How much does that shape my draft or how much are drafts being shaped by trying to stay open for something in pack two? So we're going to talk about all that stuff in the episode, a few housekeeping things to take care of before that first things first the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose uh we are going to be rolling out some patreon reward tier changes next week so be on the lookout for that we're going to be announcing those very very excited about that we've got a lot of really awesome stuff happening at the patreon now Base level there is everybody who gives back to the show gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is the place to be. It's hopping. It's popping. It's the best 24-7 limited tech support area on the internet. It's fantastic. And as I said, we're going to be changing some stuff up. And as you move up the ranks, you can get a lot of other good rewards back from us when you give back to the show via the Patreon. And we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they joined. So this week, we are welcoming Frederick, Thomas, Chan, Tyler, Dan, Tony, Nick, Hank Arino and Xenopus Rex. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. You love to see those good names. You sure do. In addition to our patrons, which we are very thankful for, the show is also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. There's some sweet stuff going on over at CFB, headline of which is the Alpha Break. They're cracking two Alpha starters as a charity break in aid of Acres of Diamonds. So if you're not familiar with what a, a charity break is or a box break, they're actually doing starter deck breaks here where you can purchase a card for yourself, an Alpha card. So there's going to be 120 total cards opened. You spend $999.99 for a card and you watch this alpha starter deck get open and, you know, you could hit the jackpot and get an alpha black lotus. Who knows? You could get an alpha duel. So pretty sweet. And every penny earned from this this alpha break that they're doing goes to Acres of Diamonds, which is a charity that helps homeless women and children. 
In addition to that, it's the holiday season and Channel Fireball is running sweet, sweet holiday deals. So if you want to treat yourself or some friends and family to magic gifts, head over to the new Channel Fireball Marketplace and use code LOL, all caps, when you're over there to let them know that we sent you. This podcast today is also brought to you by BetterHelp.com, and we'll be talking more about them later on in the show. But for now... Let's get some big picture thoughts on navigating drafts in this format. Ben, you sort of were pushing for this as an idea over the past couple of weeks, and I really liked it. So I'm going to let you lead us off here. Yeah, I was lobbying for an episode on how to navigate drafts because I've really been struggling with rares and how powerful they are, both on my side of the field when I'm drafting and navigating a draft. I feel like they derail what I've read I'm supposed to do at the table a fair amount of the time. And also just, you know, when my opponents cast them on the other side of the battlefield, it feels bad, man. <laughs> um, but I think more in the draft part, I think there's times when you open a rare, like maybe you open a red rare and you feel like blue white is open in your seat. And then there's this tension of do I steer into red so that I can play my red rare and end up in a worse overall deck, but I do get to play this bomb rare. And we do know that the bombs are very bomby. So what do you do? I think there's some real tension there. And especially, you know, if you're doing a thing and you read that this thing's open in pack one, but then you open a bomb rare in another color in pack two, do you jump ship and move in for the bomb rare? I've, I've been struggling with that. And I think it's difficult to know what to do. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And, and I think that is a big part of drafting this format. I will say that I think there are, I, I guess my like, Big picture philosophy to respond to that is there are like a handful of cards that make me, you know, come hell or high water, which I feel like is another catchphrase we've been using the past few weeks. I'm going to be able to put this card in my deck, you know, a Toxril, um, the Averbrook. I still haven't gotten to play with that card, actually, um, but I forget what what that card is. The Caretaker of Averbrook. Um, You know, those sort of top insanely performing rares or mythics that are so game warping when they come onto the battlefield. Those are cards that I'm going to try and hold on to as best I can. And then I think everything else, you know, I have them sort of randomly tiered in my head or whatever, but there's a varying degree of, yes, I'd really like to play this But if there's something, if there's a good deck open for my seat, I would rather just draft the good deck open for my seat. So let me throw a rare at you because this one keeps coming up for me. So what about wedding announcement? So that's the two and a white rare that poops out tokens or lets you draw cards. And then after three turns, turns into an anthem for your team. I keep running into that. It's very good. It's very game warping. Is that something that you're warping your draft for? Yes. So wedding announcement is sort of unique in the fact that like it's best on turn three. And so it's not one of these, you know, a card like a Toxrill or a Dreadfeast Demon where you can, you know, set yourself up to be black, red, medium cards, but still have blood to dig for them or blue, black with a Selhoff and Tumor to do the same thing or whatever. Like Wedding Announcement really, I mean, it doesn't have to go in an aggro deck for sure, but it's just better suited in a deck that can cast it on time or like reliably and is better suited, obviously, in an aggro deck because that's where you want a bunch of creatures and anthems. And white doesn't have those abilities to like dig for stuff. So I would say that's like, I don't know, just slightly tier two for me. Like, I really want to play it. But if blue red is open, I'm going to draft blue red. Right. Those are the ones I struggle with the most, like the tier two ones that are very good, but they're not quite breakfast demon level where you're just jumping ship for them. Yeah, I I think that's sort of and I mean, maybe this is some advice to impart to you like i don't find the rares so draft warping to me i do think i don't know like we talk about prince versus pauper as a way to conceptualize a format isn't super helpful but i'm not sure that this is that princely like i would rather have the open deck for my seat than hold on to wedding announcement for dear life and i think that that makes it feel like to me that I think it's a pauper format, I guess, that like I'm happier to draft a good deck of, you know, commons or uncommons than have a deck with a bomb rare, but then I'm you know scrapping together for playables. Yes, I feel like the situation I keep finding myself in is I mess my draft up because I try to include a rare, but then I end up not quite getting there anyway. So I've got this rare, but not the most functional deck in the world. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely tough. And I've definitely had that experience, definitely seen draft logs or or deck tech reviews or whatever on stream where I'm like, man, I wish I could see the draft log because it seems like you sort of bobbed and weaved a little too much or didn't quite consider what are my base two colors or, you know, you didn't commit when you needed to in pack two, etc. Those are those are tough spots to be put in. And I think this format puts you in those spots a lot. 
So we've got some overarching advice for just how to navigate drafts, I think. First up, if you get a bomb tier rare, think things like Toxrill or Hullbreaker Horror. You want to hold on for dear life and really try to get deep into a second color if the color of your rare isn't open. So let's say you open Hullbreaker Horror and blue is cut. You really need to find a second color that's very open so that you can still play the color that was super open and then whatever, the four or five good blue cards that you get passed from both directions plus the Hullbreaker Horror. Yeah, trying to get deep in one color not only helps you with that situation, but it also helps you in the situation where you don't open something powerful. And so you just try and find the open color for your seat. And then that lets you stay open to opening a bomb in pack two or getting past a bomb in pack two of a different color. So staying deep into a color, I think, is a really good strategy that I don't really think is talked about enough in this format. This is something interesting that I just noticed about our show notes, and I'm, I want to pick your brain about this because I think you are having more success than I am in the format. Mm-hmm. Both of those first two points say finding an open color, like singular. Yeah. And in my mm-hmm. brain in drafts, I very much am trying to find the open color pair. Are you looking more for one color in this format more often than you are a color pair? Yeah, for sure. I, just because I don't think like, I don't know, outside of getting into, you know, some flavors of blue red that want to be more spell based, and then you're doing the flame breather, ancestral anger thing or whatever, like the colors just pair well together. And they're not really doing, I don't know, I'm not doing like a macro synergy thing, right? If I end up in black, white, sure, I'm going to have some life gain probably. But like, I don't have to work towards that. And so I really just want to identify a color because I because of how bomby this format is, I think that part of that, part of the fun for me is, you know, trying to get out of pack one as deep into one color as possible. And then even sometimes that extends to pack two, where nothing is presented to me that's powerful. And I go, cool, I'm just going to keep drafting blue cards And then maybe pack three will give me something powerful to do. And I've had spots where I've been, you know, deep in one color, likely blue, white. And then I open Dreadfeast Demon in pack three. And I'm like, cool, that goes in, white cards out, ragged recluse for my sideboard in. Let's try and scrap together a deck because Dreadfeast Demon is now the best thing I can do. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes you're in blue, white, and you've got two brine combers. And you're like, no, I'm not going to jump ship for this. But I think like all of those different decisions and machinations are very cool and fun to sort of weigh the checks and balances of to figure out what you're supposed to do in the draft. Yeah, that'll make sense to me. I think I'm going to try to mentally shift that in my head. Sweet. We've talked about this before, but I really want to hammer home the idea of you know our draft philosophy, my draft philosophy of identifying two cards in every pack. And that's the best card overall in the pack and the card that fits best with what you've drafted. And that's usually, you know, color, archetype, whatever. Um, And then you figure out the delta between the two and what you're giving up on in terms of, well, if I take a card that is the a first card of a color that I haven't drafted yet, is that worth doing versus taking a third black card, etc. And I think when you've got tiny edges, when you're like, well, this could, these are both C's or one is a C plus or whatever, I think those are the spots where you want to make concessions to the cards that you've drafted so far. At least that's been my experience. Like that helps me go, okay, yeah, maybe I could take this better, slightly better card, but taking this other card that I'm totally happy with will get me deeper into white or black or whatever. Which is powerful in its own way, in a different way than the actual power level of the cardboard. Yes. And and I think that that ties in with something I say a lot on stream, which is like, what is the reason that you're drafting a specific color or color pair. I think people get locked in, maybe this has been happening to you, locked into a color pair at the end of pack one, especially for weak reasons. You know, you you're, you know, you get to pick seven and you've got, you know, three red cards, two blue cards, and one black card. And the best card in the pack is blue, but only slightly, and there's a good red card there. I think people often will go like, cool, I'll just take my like take the best card here is blue. And now I've got three red cards and three blue cards. And you're kind of locking yourself into a color pair, maybe not for any good particular reason other than like, I've seen some of a handful of good cards here and here. Whereas if you take your fourth blue card there, and then you just go, okay, my mission plan now is to get out of pack one as deep in blue as possible. And then I'll figure out what happens in pack two. I think that's a much better spot to put yourself in. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think I do do that most of the time. I think I just want to point out where you're talking about the delta between the two cards that you identify, we're talking about like the gap in power level, right? Yes. And so it matters every pick though, right? And the equation changes because if you've started with a great rare, you're much more willing to take hits in power to stay on color with your rare or to do something that you think is going to make you be able to play that rare. Whereas if you start with 
a weak card, you're much more willing to start taking the best card out of every pack and be very flexible, right? So that yes. equation is constantly evolving based on the power level of the cards you've already drafted, as well as the power level of the cards that you're seeing passed by your neighbor of colors that you are not. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult. I have a point here about like this thought that I I have about the, you know, if you graph your pack one or whatever. So if on an X, Y axis, let's say, you know, on the X axis is picks progressing in the packs and the Y axis is the power level you have access to in the pack, right? Assuming that everybody at the table is taking the most powerful card out of each pack, the power level of the packs gets lower as the picks progress, right? And so you have sort of this graph where it's, you know, a high value on the Y axis, low value X axis. As the draft progresses, it's sort of like there's like a a pretty steep curve. And by the time you get to about, I don't know, pick seven, pick eight, you know, the line should be pretty flat along the X axis and a low power level. And so it's about that time where like, you're not going to see powerful picks. And so the power that you get from taking picks is getting deeper into a color to provide yourself that power in the future of the draft. Yeah, that made total sense to me. I've never really thought about it visually like that. And I'm a very visual learner, despite being a band director. I don't know what that (laughs) says about me. (laughs) But I'm a very visual learner. So that really helped conceptualize, oh, yeah, like the front of the pack matters way more than pick six or pick seven. And not that those picks don't matter. You're still trying to read signals and all that. But just the expected power level of the cards that you're going to see. I think that really helped me internalize that. And I think the the thing that you have to have to be able to do all of this or do all of this effectively is you just have to have some sort of internal pick order, tier list, whatever. Because too often on stream, I, I get comments like, well, red seems open. And I go, my immediate thing that I do is do a checklist of top commons. And I go, have I seen Bolt? Have I seen a Braid? Have I seen Celebrants? Have I seen Epicure? And I go, no, I haven't seen any of those cards. What makes us think red is open? You know, red is just a deep color. And so maybe you're still seeing red cards that are playable, but you got to have that checklist of, you know, do I really want to be drafting red for this card for the fifth best common? Do I really want to be drafting black for Desperate Farmer? Desperate Farmer is a great card. But is that the card that should be the first black card that I take over something that gets me deeper into a color I've already drafted and already have a reason to draft? You know, sometimes you will have drafts that bob and weave over commons, but more often than not, I think you should be trying to find a lane. And I think you can just level yourself by getting cute of like, well, yeah, but the edge here is that, you know, Drogskull Infantry is slightly better than this other card. It's like, yeah, but is Drogskull Infantry the first white card you want to draft? Probably not. Yeah, checks out with me. All right, so to put all of these concepts into perspective, we've got a handful of draft logs that we want to show you where we're making these kinds of considerations. And I think it's also interesting, sometimes we might be able to say, hey, what if what if the rare was something else? And how does that change the way that you're making concessions in the draft? So I've got one draft log here for us to take a look at. Ben, are you ready to take a seat? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so pack one, pick one. We start off with a banger. I don't think like an absolute banger, but a banger. Blood Vile Purveyor, that's two black black for the five six flying trample. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, that player creates a blood token. And whenever it attacks, it gets plus one plus oh for each blood token defending player controls. It's a tier two banger. Yeah, bomb status, but you know, just slightly less than those like absolute game winning. Like this is a, v- a very answerable card, I would say. So moving on to pack one, pick two. Here are the things that I think you're considering. I think it really boils down to two cards. The best black card in the pack is Blood Fountain, the single black artifact. ETBs makes a blood token, and then three and a black tap sack. Return two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. There's also Innocent Traveler. That's the the four mana one three at the beginning of your upkeep. An opponent may sacrifice a creature. If no one does, you transform it into a three three flyer that gets plus two plus zero if an opponent controls a human, which I think is a good card. But again, as we've talked about, it sort of suffers from the four drop problem in the format where it's it's just worse than the three common black four drops. And so you just if black is open, you just often don't have room for this in your deck. Yes, I completely agree. So so I'd say Blood Fountain is in the lead there in terms of a follow-up to Blood Vile Purveyor. A good card, happy to take that. I think that's like early for Blood Fountain, but I'd be happy to take it because I have Blood Vile Purveyor. And I think in my mind, the best card in the pack overall is Storm Chaser Drake, which is one in a blue for the 2-1 flyer. When it becomes the target of a spell you control, you draw a card. Yeah, so this pick right here, this is so hard and this drives me up a wall. Like I can make <laughs> arguments for both of these cards and I don't know what's right. Like Storm yeah. Chaser Drake is significantly better than blood fountain right it is yes a b level card especially in blue white blood fountain is great 
It's a C plus. And Blood Fountain's also the type of card that you really want a copy of with Blood Vial yes. Purveyor. So you wouldn't feel bad about taking Blood Fountain here, except you're passing Storm Chaser Drake. Yeah, I ended up taking the Drake here, but I, I, this is not a pick that I feel like insanely strongly about in terms of I don't think Drake is right or Blood Fountain is right. I think you could make arguments for both. My Just the tiebreaker here for me, you know, if you if you bump up Blood Fountain to something like obviously Bleed Dry, if you bump it up to something like Diagraph Scavenger, I think I would probably take that. Like that power level gap seems a little closer to me. Blood Fountain is a card that I feel like if black is open, I'm going to be able to get a copy of this later. And I don't want to like give up on the power of Drake just yet. But I, honestly, if you took Blood Fountain here, I don't think that's wrong. Well, and what you have to decide for yourself is, do I want to hold on to this rare, right? Like how important is that to me? Because if it's very important, you should take Blood Fountain, right? Yeah. Like if your rare is Dreadfeast Demon, are you taking Blood Fountain here? I think I am. I think I am too, yeah. And, you know, same, same for Tox Roll, those like tier one rares or whatever that there's only a handful of. I think I agree. Uh, and I like Blood File Purveyor a lot. It ends games. It's four mana, and that's very impressive. Um, but it's not like this unbeatable card that it feels like Dreadfeast and Tox Roll are, are much closer to. Yeah, I think I would land on Storm Chaser Drake myself here also, but I would feel weird about this pick. And I don't normally feel weird about draft picks when I draft. I feel very <laughs> confident. For some yeah. reason, this format has me topsy-turvy. And I think you just have to know, yeah, you just have to know what the reason is for taking the card. You have to boil the pack down to those are the two picks and recognize that you're taking a hidden power by taking Blood Fountain to secure up the possibility of being able to play Purveyor. And I don't, like I said, I don't think either... You know, draft is often not about right and wrong. I don't think there's a right or wrong pick here. I just think you got to be making a pick with reasoning behind it. Yeah. Pack one, pick three. I think the pick again boils down to, well, there's a wolf strike in the pack. There's a flourishing hunter. So a couple good green commons. I, the best black card in the pack is Grizzly Ritual. Five and a black sorcery. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. Create two blood tokens. Again, a card I'm happy to play one of but it feels a little early to take. And then there are a slew of blue cards in the pack. There's Repository Scob, Cruel Witness, and Binding Geist at Common, and then a Mischievous Cat Geist at Uncommon. That's the one on a blue, one, one, when it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card, and has Disturbed for two and a blue, and the aura grants that same ability. Yeah, this is interesting. I think Cat Geist is probably better than Ritual, but you don't really care about Cat Geist that much. Like, it's a fine card. Sometimes it runs away with the game. Sometimes it does minimal things on the battlefield. I think Wolf Strike is the actual best card here, but I'm not interested in branching into a third color that much. I don't know. Like, and I'm not interested in being blue green or black green, particularly, I think is even more of the consideration. Like if Wolf Strike were a braid, I, like sign me up. I'm all over a braid here, you know? Yeah, I, I have a pretty firm rule for myself to not draft green at common, even if Wolf Strike is the best green common. I just I just don't do it. That's not how I want to draft this format. Yeah, I am similar. I have I want to get in for uncommons and rares. So I think I would land on Mischievous Catgeist here to pair up with Storm Chaser Drake. But I also think it's worth noting if we back up a pick, if you make the decision last pick to take the Blood Fountain mm -hmm. and then here you take Grizzly Ritual, boom, like you're in black, like you're going to be able to play black no matter what you decide as your second color, which is kind of powerful in some ways. Whereas right now, like we're poised to maybe pivot off of Blood Vial Purveyor. So the reason I took Catgeist here, and I don't think Catgeist is a very good card, but it is very good with Storm Chaser Drake, right? It not only creates an aura that can target the Drake to cantrip, but then a cantripping Drake on attacks is also quite powerful. But I think you're totally right, right? If you take, I also think you could just make an argument for taking Grizzly Ritual right here. It's again a card that I feel like it's too early to take now, much like I kind of felt like with Blood Fountain. But if you just go Purveyor, Blood Fountain, Grizzly Ritual, that is a totally reasonable way to start this draft, I think. Well, and the other thing is like there's a snowballing effect too, right? So if we've yes. got Purveyor and Storm Chaser Drake and we take Catgeist now, the next pick, we're incentivized to, if there's a close pick between blue and black cards, we're almost incentivized to take a blue card, which is a weird tension between wanting to really play this Blood Vial Purveyor, but now like also sort of being incentivized to get a little bit deeper into blue. Right, exactly. So moving on to pick four, there's really nothing for you in the colors you have, right? Vampire's Kiss is the only black card. So starting to feel good, at least in this path of like, well, maybe black's just not going to be open. And it's good that we've sort of specced on these blue cards. The blue cards are kind of whatever in Scattered Thoughts and Skywarp Scob. And I think the 
clear best card in the pack is Sagarda's Imprisonment, the two and a white aura, Enchanted Creature can't attack or block, pay four and a white to exile Enchanted Creature and make a blood token. Yeah, 100% you're taking Sagarda's Imprisonment here. Yeah, so take that and now you're on black card, blue card, blue card, white card. Pick five... We do see a little bit of hope here. There's in, in, in terms of black cards, there's pointed discussion and desperate farmer at common. And then an uncommon, a card that I like a lot that the data seems a little medium on. This is Restless Bloodseeker. One on a black for a one three. At the beginning of your end step, if you gained life this turn, make a blood token. And you can sack two blood tokens, transform it at sorcery speed into a three three that has the, the same ability of if you gained life, make a blood token, but then also four and a black to drain your opponent for two. Best friends with gluttonous guest. Oh my God, such best friends, which is a great two, three punch there. And then like, I mean, the rest of the pack, whatever, there's there's Cruel Witness as the best blue card and Neville Gast Beguiler as the best white card, but I don't really want to take either of these in this spot. No, I agree. I like Bloodseeker over Desperate Farmer here as your second black card. And you would be pretty thrilled. I mean, last pack, I was like, oh, only Vampire's Kiss. But now this pack, if I, you know, if I had gone... Black card, black card, black card, and now see this pack. I'm I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty stoked. I'm like, all right, we're we're gonna escape out of this pack as deep into black as possible. But then pick six throws this wrench into the mix, where there is a gluttonous guest for you to to pair with your blood, restless blood seeker for you to you know just keep getting deeper into black. But there is also a brine comer in the pack, and you have two blue cards and a Sagarda's imprisonment. Yeah, I think this is where it really starts to be difficult, and why you get. It's not punished, but the draft gets more complicated if you pick Storm Chaser Drake and a Mischievous Catgeist, right? Because yes. all of a sudden, Brian Comer is a real option where there's a route where we could have just been like solid black and been thrilled to see the gluttonous guest here get really deep into black and not even mess with this Brian Comer at all. But as it stands, I think we have the Purveyor, we have the Bloodseeker, but we also have those two good blue cards and we have Sigarda's Imprisonment. And Brian Comer is the card, I think, that makes blue white tick. And yes. it's a really big signal here. So I think I would take Brian Comer here. And I guess you're thinking about potentially abandoning Bloodvile Purveyor at this point, which feels awkward to me. It does feel awkward. I agree. But this is sort of the example of I would rather draft the open deck for my seat than force down because there, there's a there is a tension here in terms of yes you would be set up to be deep into black, but you would have a grizzly ritual, a blood fountain. You have this blood seeker, and now you have the opportunity to take gluttonous guest here. Again, these are not top commons. No, but those are pieces of a very good black deck. You want copies of all of those cards in black decks. I totally agree. But when presented with a Brinecomber here, which is quite good with with Storm Chaser Drake, right? Storm Chaser Drake is the other sort of engine piece for that blue white deck. And, you know, we should maybe round out the the texture of this pack. There's a Heron of Hope. There's a Kindly Ancestor. There's a Scattered Thoughts. So we're also seeing, you know, more, you know, strong top-ish commons in those colors in the pack. And, and Gluttonous Guest falls into that respect as well. I think Gluttonous Guest is a bit underrated, if I'm being honest. But yeah, so I, I landed on the Brinecomber here. But I think, to your point, had you just taken the route of stay with blood vial purveyor you also escape this pack in a totally fine spot right you get a persistent specimen next you get a blood crazed socialite pick eight and you're just like fine i'm thrilled to be getting out of pack one as deep into black as possible and then see what happens in pack two well i think one of the other things this brian comer pick is very interesting in terms of we haven't talked about this much on the podcast but benes's concept of drafting the hard way is like in this moment pack one pick six we have these two black cards we have these two blue cards we have the white card we're weighing you know if we take gluttonous guest here to maybe solidify ourselves into black a little more you're trying to weigh future value as well in this equation that we're talking about so it's not just the gap between gluttonous guest and brian comer here and what brian comer does to our draft but if blue white is open from our neighbor that's passing to us, we also get the value of all those future good blue and white cards that we're likely to see from our neighbor. So that's like entering into the equation in your head as well. Yeah, for sure. And that's tough because, you know, maybe you get, especially with these gold cards, you can get the, this thing of, you know, blue white is open, but neither blue nor white is open, right? And that can be a dangerous place to be in. Mm -hmm. So I landed on the Brian Comer, ended up like, straddling the draft a little bit in terms of like got some more late black cards was thinking maybe we were going to be blue black and then had uh, had like triple diver scob and then got a 
second Brian Comer pack three, pick three, and decided double Brian Comer was better than, you know, hadn't really picked up another black card in pack two at all, and and figured that double Brian Comer was better than the Blood Vial Purveyor and, and pushed down uh, blue white to a, a pretty successful deck that went seven one. Yeah, those drafts are hard. They're hard, but there's part of what I, for for my money, make this format really fun. Like I find that challenge very fun. Whereas like some formats, I don't know, like Zendikar Rising or whatever, where you're just like, I'm gonna carve out this lane and that's gonna be open and blah blah blah. And there's not really these, you know, the check those little tiny edges feel fun to lean into or sort of ignore. I think that's an interesting dynamic of the format. I agree. I will say for the format, I have very much been enjoying the drafts and I feel very lost in the drafts, which is fun because a lot of the time, like once I feel like I understand the format, you're drafting on autopilot, right? Like there's just yeah. this thing where, you know, midnight hunt when the commons are the best things and the, there's very good colors, it's easier to navigate the draft. But here the drafts are very interesting. I don't enjoy losing to Halana and Elena or whatever over and over again. But yeah, I will say I really enjoy the drafts and I still don't feel very comfortable in the drafts. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. And I think that's what's potentially going to give this format longevity and get us get us through this harsh winter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, take a quick break to talk about BetterHelp, and then we'll be back with some more draft logs. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, look no further than BetterHelp an online therapy service. You know, Ben, the world of content creation can be pretty isolating. It's hard. It's very unique. It's hard to talk about. Like people don't know what Twitch is and you're interacting with the internet all day and you can let the most negative voices be the loudest voices. And while I'm grateful to have, you know, someone like my wife in my life or someone like you in my life who I can, you know, probably talk to about these kinds of things, I think these are the situations where a professional can really be helpful. Yeah, I absolutely agree. We both believe in practicing self-care, and therapy is one of the best ways to improve your mental health. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you in under 48 hours with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available for clients worldwide. So you can log into your account anytime, send a message to your therapist, and then you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so say goodbye to waiting rooms. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and check out their testimonials. There are new ones posted every single day. I'm just pulling this up on November 28th. I'm seeing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, so many testimonials rolling in each and every day about the great therapists they have at BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Lords. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. Plus, Lords of Limited listeners get 10% off their first month by visiting betterhelp.com lords. And now back to the show. All right, we're on to one of my drafts. Ethan, are you ready to take a seat at the round table? I am. All right, pack one, pick one. You see the following options. There's a Sigardus Imprisonment at common, as well as a Diagraph Scavenger. And then no real uncommons in consideration. Maybe an Undead Butler, one in a black for the one, two. When it ETBs, you mill three. And when it dies, you can exile it to return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And then Boom Baby, our rare, is a good one. Ill-Tempered Loner, two red red for a three, three. Whenever Ill-Tempered Loner is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to any target. And you can pay one in a red to give it plus two, plus oh until end of turn. And then on the back side, it's a 4-4, four, four, and whenever a permanent you control is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to any target, and you can still pay 1 in a red to give it plus 2 plus 0 until end of turn. I think Ill-Tempered Loner is in tier 1 for me, <laughs> to be honest. The card is insanely powerful. It's very strong, yeah. I think you're definitely nabbing it out of this pack. So moving on to pack 1, pick 2, see the following cards as options. There's no real good red cards. There's Frenzy Devils as the best one. That's four and a red for the three through with haste. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Best white card in the pack. And I think just the best card in the pack is Fierce Retribution. It's one and a white instant uh, destroy target attacking creature. And then you can cleave it for five and a white to destroy target creature. And there's nothing else I'm really considering here. Do you see anything? No, I mean, I, you know, I like Ragged Recluse, but that's nowhere near the top black common. So I agree Fierce Retribution is the, the best card in this pack. Obviously, it's the only white card in the pack. 
it's interesting. Like again, you want to think about how far down the common power rankings would you go in red to take a card over retribution? I mean, you would definitely take Flame Bless Bolt. You would definitely take a Braid. I think you would de- definitely take the Falconrath Celebrants, the four four menace that makes two blood. I would almost take Epicure. Would you? I was just going to say. I think I would take Epicure too. That's how powerful I think ill-tempered loner is and how good I think Epicure is as well, where I'd just be willing to say, I'm going to make, I'm going to take a concession here because I really want to play this rare. Yeah. So there are no concessions to make, yeah. though, unfortunately. So no. we take the Fierce Retribution. I mean, I guess, I guess you could say like Ceremonial Knife, right, is colorless. So it keeps you open and keeps you being able to play loner. I just think, again, that gap is way too big between that and Retribution. Yes, I agree. All right, moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. There's no real red cards in the pack, unfortunately. Ancestral Anger is the best one, red for the sorcery. Target creature gets trample and plus X plus O until end of turn where X is one plus the number of cards named Ancestral Anger in your graveyard, and then you draw a card. There's Traveling Minister, best white common, white for a 1-1, tap, target creature gets plus one plus O until end of turn, you gain a life. There's a Wolf Strike as best green common, green removal spell. And then there's nothing else really in consideration. There's some black cards. There's a gluttonous guest, a desperate farmer, and an undead butler. But I don't think any of those cards are as good as traveling minister. I agree. I mean, I have a a real love for gluttonous guests, and I do like black quite a bit more than white. But you have a fierce retribution in your pile. And so even if there's a world where I think guest is better than minister, and I'm not even sure that's the world I live in, it doesn't really matter because it's close and the tiebreaker is going to be retribution for me. So I would snap up the minister here. Well, and even if Traveling Minister is worse than the black cards a little bit, there's something to be said for, okay, we haven't seen red. Now, we're only pick three, so there's not yeah. really signals yet, but there's something to be said for we really want to get deep into a color that's not red so that we can still play this ill-tempered loner if red is cut. Right. Yeah. I do think it's still early days that you would you would take a third color if there was a card worth doing so for. I just don't think there is. All right. So next pack, pack one, pick four, you see the following cards as options. There's another Wolf Strike hanging out. There's Heron of Hope, three and a white for the two, three flyer. If you'd gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead, and you can pay one and a white to give it lifelink until end of turn. There's Falconrath Celebrants as the best and only red card in the pack. Four and a red for a four, four menace. When it ETBs, you make two blood tokens. And then there's also a Desperate Farmer hanging out. Yeah, I mean, this is great. So we have a little bit of hope still left in the tank here to get to play this Wait, why? No, <laughs> but we're not taking Heron of Hope. We're taking Falconrath <laughs> Celebrants. Um, there's there's a little, there's still like an inkling here of we can still play this ill-tempered loner, right? And we're seeing what what I believe is the third best red common and what is one of the top performing commons in the set in Celebrants. Pick four. That's not great, right? Three uncommons missing. So there's no like real signals to be read here, but I'm still happy to to be able to to continue to to keep that ill-tempered loner dream alive. Yes, I agree. So you take Falcon Rest Celebrants. Moving on to pack one, pick five. Boom, baby. See the following cards as options. There's no great white or blue cards in the pack, but there is Flame Blessed Bolt. Red for an instant yeah. deals two damage to our creature Planeswalker. If that creature Planeswalker would die this turn, you exile it instead. So now not only you're taking Bolt, and I'm thrilled to see this pick five, this is the point. This feels inflection-y to me. This feels like an inflection point of the draft of now my goal is just get out of pack one as deep into red as possible. I've got three really, I've got an insanely good reason to be red and two very strong commons in red. And I just want to get as deep into red as possible the rest of the pack. Yes, completely agree. So moving on to pack one, pick six, you see the following cards as options. There's a lantern bearer as the best blue card in the pack, top blue common. Only red card in the pack, Kessig Flame Breather, one in red for the 1 3. Whenever you cast a non creature spell, it deals one damage to each opponent. And there's no great white cards to speak of. There's a Dawnheart Geist, which is the 1 3 uncommon that lets you gain two whenever you cast an enchantment, and an Estwald Shield Basher, the 4 2 that you can make indestructible. Yeah, I'm just, as I just said, I'm going to try and get out as deep in red as I can. Kessig Flame Breather is totally fine. I think two mana, one, three is a good stat line in the format. And I think it's a, a good card in certain red decks. And I'm happy to take it here. All right, moving on to pack one, pick seven. See the following cards as options. There's no red cards in the pack. Ruh, no. Okay. Yeah. And then best white card is a Heron Blessed Geist and only white card. Uh, it's four and a white for three, three with flying. You can exile it from your graveyard if you have an enchantment. Uh, to make two one one flyers and there's some premium blue uncommons here first up is diver scob three blue blue for the three five with exploit and whenever it exploits a creature target creatures owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library and there's also a screaming swarm the six mana four four flyer um, that mills whenever you attack with creatures 
So two things I want to talk about here about Screaming Swarm. One, since our discussion of the card last week, I've drafted it quite a bit more and it's really good. It's just a good body. Like 4-4 four, four Flyer for 6 is kind of overcosted, but it's just a good body. And the mill is kind of relevant. And I will say, I faced a really cool deck yesterday, which had triple Vile Spawn Spider and double Screaming Swarm. And I was like, this is derpy. They're just going to mill themselves out, blah, blah, blah. And then on my end, or on their turn, they went Crack Vile Spawn Spider, Crack Vile Spawn Spider. And I think they made 18 little insects. And then I was like, oh, no. I'm going to get milled out next turn because they're just going <laughs> to attack me and mill my library. Now, I won game two and three because I sided in Vampire's Vengeance and End the Festivities, but I was very impressed by that game one performance. I have also been impressed by a blue-green deck. I played against an opponent rocking like a 50-plus card stew <laughs> with triple crawling infestation and Whoa. the blue-green uncommon and stuff, and it was it was real. And they had the, the two-green uncommon that lets you rebuy a creature and a non-creature, so they could rebuy the crawling infestations that got milled by their other cards. Like, they actually were doing the thing, and it's a really cool deck, but it just isn't as good as the Tier 1 strategy. So I was talking about this with beers on stream. Like, playing best of one, you just never are incentivized to draft that deck, right? Because the pods are weaker, so you can always navigate into a more powerful deck. But I do think there's legs in blue-green, like, going really deep. I mean, I've done over 50 drafts, and I've never seen a reason to draft blue-green. And that's <laughs> so that just may be, like, my pick orders or how I'm valuing stuff or whatever, but... Like, I just never see it. It's such a, it's just so hard for me to want to end up in a deck like that that has no interaction. I mean, you get Wolf Strike, you get Lunar Rejection, but like, you gotta have ways to answer stuff on board. And Blue Green just doesn't really do that effectively. Yes, I agree. But I think my point is, I think there is a really cool deck there. I just think it's tier two instead of tier one. Like, you know how Spider Spawning was tier one? I think there are pieces there to do some sweet nonsense, Mm -hmm. but it's just tier two. So you're just never going to do it if you're trying to win, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think in this pack, getting back to this pack one pick seven, I think Diver Scob is the pick. I mean, th- this card seems like this is, is egregiously late in my mind for a card of this power level. Yes, I took Diver Scob and then pick eight starts to get really tough. So again, no real red cards. There's an end the festivities is the only red card ceremonial knife if you wanted to stay colorless. And then there's still a repository scob in the pack as well as Brinecomber at Uncommon. That's the blue-white Uncommon. That's a 1-1 that brings a 1-1 flyer along with it and has Disturb. I mean, you've got Traveling Minister and Fierce Retribution. You did just pick up a late Diver Scob. Like, I'm not happy to get pushed off this ill-tempered loner if that's what's happening. But again, as we saw in the first draft, Pack 1, Pick 8, Brinecomber feels like a huge signal, especially off the back of Pack 1, Pick 7, Diver Scob, that I would take that here. I mean, you're, again, you're not giving up on anything. And the festivities is the only red card in the pack. So what else are you supposed to do? Like, this is a maybe a feels bad in terms of I'm going to get pushed off my rare. But it's not a feels bad in terms of, ooh, I have the opportunity to pick up a very powerful card for a very good archetype. Right. And then pick nine, you see a Sigarda's imprisonment on the wheel, which is awesome. Snap yeah. that up over a Heron of Hope. You also see a Chill of the Grave here. So playable blue and white. So I want to pose this question to you. Yeah. Do you... Right now, you wield the Sigarda's imprisonment. Are you thinking, you know, I want to be red-white, white seems open enough, I'm going to be able to be red-white, or, I mean, you're clearly seeing blue-white signals at this point, right? There was the lantern bearer we passed earlier. What What is your thought process right now? My thought process, and this sort of happened when I was, I was watching you draft yesterday and, you know, piping in my thoughts as 30 seconds late or whatever, <laughs> and with the delay, but my thought is... I'm open. Like I don't. Well, I don't need to decide right now. In my mind, right now, I have two great options. Either I can push down red white, and that means I get to play loner, or I push down blue white, and that are, is almost certainly going to be wide open for me, given the entire table passed up on Brian Comer. Which either means blue white is open, or the table doesn't respect Brian Comer. And either way, that's probably a good spot to be in. Right. So you're in your head right now. You are white, and this goes back to where you're trying to find a singular color. And I think I really do, for whatever reason, I don't know why that has happened to me in this format, but I very much have been wanting to lock into color pairs. So you're white right now, and you're trying to feel it out. I think so, right? Because you, you, so you have minister retribution and imprisonment, and that's a good spot to be in. And then you've got really good red cards to pair with or really good blue cards to pair with. And this is sort of where the color pair thing, I think just doesn't matter. And I hadn't really thought about that until just recording with you right now. 
like I had thought that I'd been doing the like push down a color, get deep into a color for like the bomb nature of the format. But I, th- I think there's also just the reality of the color pairs don't really provide a big identity. I mean, like once you're in blue, white, sure, you, you know, if you have a Brian Comer, you're going to want to get more disturbed stuff or more auras or cradle of safety or whatever. And when you're in black, white, maybe you prioritize more life gain. But like the color pairs largely, like the colors just pair well together because if you're just taking good cards in a color, then you're more looking for micro synergies than macro synergies. You're more looking for, oh, do I have fodder for my exploit creatures, whatever, if I have exploit creatures, but not all decks are going to have exploit creatures, etc. So yeah, I am just trying to get deep into a color. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Okay, so we're going to rewind here and show you what actually happened in this draft. So we lied to you. Sorry, listeners. Uh, We didn't actually open an ill-tempered loner. We opened an alluring suitor, which is two and a red for the two, three. And when you attack with two creatures, you transform it into deadly dancer, three, three trample, uh, does lots of stuff, adds red mana and can pump itself and another creature. I I think also people, I I have had so many people when I attack with, so I play this attack with two creatures, it flips and then they like, you know, block my vampire epicure with their 2-2. Two, two. And I'm like, you know I can pump this, right? Ooh. Like, <laughs> you know this is about to be a 2-1 on trade. Like, I don't know. I think people just don't quite understand how insane this card is and how flexible it is. It's very good, yeah. So, but not quite on the ill-tempered loner plan. Exactly, exactly. So, pack one, pick one. I think the draft changes. And I think it's interesting to see how the draft changes and how much less tension there is if you're not dealing with a powerful rare. So pack one, pick one, we want Alluring Suitor. You still take Fierce Retribution, pack one, pick two. Pack one, pick three, you still take Traveling Minister to pair up with your Fierce Retribution, and there's no real red cards in that pack. Pack one, pick four changes though, right? So yeah. if you have the red rare, you're choosing between Falconrath Celebrants and Heron of Hope. And I think if you have the red rare, you're incentivized to take Celebrants, whereas if you have the two white cards, there's much more value, I think, into getting deeper into white, and you're mm-hmm. much more willing to give up on the alluring suitor. So I think you take Heron of Hope because it matches up very well with your minister and retribution. Right. And this is similar to that spot that I talked about in the like sort of big picture section of how, how much better does the draft look with you going to pick five with three white cards and one red card versus two and two? It looks way better. Two and two, you start to lock into, oh, I'm red white. And that is not where you want to be in this format. And while I like alluring suitor a lot, and I think Celebrance is a better card than Heron of Hope, I don't think it's that much better that it's worth giving up on that flexibility. Yes, completely agree. And then you take Flame Bless Bolt, pick five. But mm-hmm. then pick six, you get to take Lantern Bearer over Kessig Flame Breather. Right. Because again, you're fine moving off of red or you're fine moving off of white because you're not dealing with intrinsically powerful cards. And then pick seven, you get to take Diver's Gob, pick eight, Brian Comer, and boom, you're just like off of red and you're blue white. And it's and- way more clean cut. And the difference is in this draft when you take Brinecomber is that you have a Lantern Bearer and a Heron of Hope in your pile versus a Celebrant and a Kessig Flame Breather that you're potentially giving up on. So it's much more clear cut that like, oh, baby, I get to be blue white. Dang, I probably am ditching Alluring Suitor and Flame Blessed Bolt. But my mentality is totally different here, right? Back on pick eight, I'm basically going, oh, I'm blue white in this draft. Whereas when we got the ill-tempered loner, I'm like, I could be anything. I'm, I feel like I'm going to be white and I can either pair it with red or blue. So it's just a different mental shift there. Right. But I do think it makes it's hard drafting with the good (laughs) rares. It makes the draft harder. Yeah, it does make it harder. I feel like you're I feel like harder for you doesn't mean fun right now. (laughs) That's what I'm getting. Like, I feel like you're, I don't know, stressed about it. I yes, I was stressed when we had the (laughs) ill tempered loner. And I feel like great just abandoning alluring suitor and flame bolt because my my drafting philosophy and i think you are the same way but for some reason you seem to be immune to this format (laughs) is that like we want to find what's open right yeah but then there's also real tension between like finding what's open and also just playing this rare and leaving yourself outs to play this rare and i feel like i'm stuck in the middle like i can't do either one of them successfully (laughs) when i do drafts in this format yeah, I don't know. It's that, it's that best of one life, Ben. It's that best of one. Best of one yeah. Bob's really got you, got you hooked. We got time for one more draft, yeah? Yeah. All right, so let's let's take a look at another draft log here that's, I think, going to be emblematic of another thing we've talked about, which doesn't quite center around opening a bomb. Though here we do open a pretty darn good uncommon, one of the best in Parasitic Grasp. This is the, the Cleave Instant, one black black, deals three damage to target creature. You gain three life. If you target a human, it only costs one and a black. 
pretty clear best card here. Uh, the rare is a, a dual land, the blue red dual land. You're picking it over you know, Twin Blade Geist, the double striking disturbed creature, or Flame Blessed Bolt as the best common in the pack. But I think Grasp wins out easily among those. I think Bolt versus Grasp is kind of close for me. I think you could make a case for Bolt if you really wanted to start red. No, that, wait, hold on. Mr. Mr. Bleed Dry over Flame Blessed Bolt, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, is telling me that it's close between this and Grasp? Yes, because what I, happened? Think, <laughs> I think Grasp only deals with creatures of one toughness higher. So Grasp is not dealing with bombs that you don't need to deal with. It's just an efficient removal spell that's going to give you a life total swing. Like this is the scavenger bump on Parasitic Grasp, but it's not... I bleed dry, I think, is more important slash better than Parasitic Grasp. I would take Bleed Dry over Parasitic Grasp. I, I would not, but okay. Very, very interesting. Um, I think Grasp is just nuts. I mean... Yeah, I think Grasp is nuts. I would take Grasp over Bleed Dry, personally. Huh. All right. Anyway, well, now that we've argued about that, uh, <laughs> I took Grasp out of this pack. So moving on to pack one, pick two, we got quite a spread here. Um, so in terms of blue cards, there's a Lantern Bearer at Common. We've got Sigarda's Imprisonment as well. There's a Diagraph Scavenger as the only black card in the pack. That's the four mana, two, three death touch. ETBs exiles a card from a yard. If it was a creature, you drain your opponent for two. And then in the uncommon slot, we've got a Vile Spawn Spider. I don't think we're taking our green blue card here. There's a Foreboding Statue, which I kind of want to check in on. We kind of, you know, went back and forth in the crash course about this. This is three mana for a one, two construct. Taps out a mana of any one color. Then you put an omen counter on it. At the beginning of your end step, if there are three or more omen counters on it, you untap it, then transform it. Turns into a five, five that adds a mana of any color at the beginning of your first main phase. How are you feeling about the statue these days? It's good. I mean, I feel like if it's threatening to go to a 5-5, you have to deal with it, which is awkward. It fixes. I don't know. It's fine. Like, it's not a pull. Like, it's not a B minus, but it's a solid C, C plus, especially if you're splashing. I don't think you're ever playing it without splashing. Yeah, the thing about it, like, I, I basically never play it because, I, well, one, I, if, if you're only playing it when you splash, then I'm basically never going to play it because I have barely splashed in this format. But I will say that when I see it on the battlefield, I'm always like, yep, I'm going to have to. That's going to be a 5-5 five, five in three turns. And that's a problem. And so I'm going to have to deal with it at some point, um, which is, I think, you know, the the mark of a good card. If, if it comes down and you are recognizing it and noticing it and it's warping the way you play the game, then it's probably something you should take stock of. Um, and the last uncommon here is Bramble Worm. This is six and a black for the seven, six reach trample. ETBs gains five, two and a green exile it from your graveyard to gain five life. A, a, a lot to take in here. Yeah. Yeah, this is a very hard pack to grok here as far as what you want to do. There's just so many options. You could take Imprisonment as another removal spell. You could take Lantern Bearer as best blue common if you want to push into blue. You can take Diagraph Scavenger to match up with your Parasitic Grasp, which is one of the weaker cards in the pack, but again, gives you some power and flexibility in having two black cards. But there's also some danger in that, in that like if black is cut, totally, then you're pivoting off of black. But I guess if black is cut, then you can still find a second color and mm -hmm. then still play your black cards. So I don't know. And there's Bramble Worm as a premium green uncommon, but don't love second picking that with Parasitic Grasp. So that's my question. Is Bramble Worm a premium uncommon? I don't care about that card at all when I see it in a pack. I think it is. I feel like the people who like green love Bramble Worm. It's just like who, we have we have whatever the wolf spirit, the 6-6. The six -six. Isn't this just, it's just the same, right? No. I don't it's know. Got it's and got trample and reach. Trample and reach. It's not know. the same. <laughs> but it's seven mana. Yeah, but I mean, if yeah, what's one more mana? Honestly, what's one more mana among friends? So if this, so let's take away parasitic grasp. Let's ask the question. This is pack one, pick one. The rare is a rare land. What do you take here? Ooh, me? I would take Zagarda's imprisonment. Yeah, and you love white. I really do. You really love white. I would take Lantern Bearer myself. Um. I, I love blue, I think, but also just like my one of my biggest tiebreakers in this format has just been what's cheaper. And so if I'm ha if I can take a one drop, I'm happy to take a one drop. So I would take Lantern Bear here. Yeah, but in fairness to green, I think there are a lot of people that are drafting green and light green that would say, whoa, Bramble Worm is the pick out of this pack. And I, that is not me. And I'm not that comfortable with green, but I just yeah. want to be uh, an impartial jury here. Yeah, we may need to to outsource some green strats and bring them to the pod because neither, neither you or I, I think, are going to do that in the life of this format. We'll see. Yeah, so I, I did elect to take Diagraph Scavenger here because I had Parasitic Grasp. I was like, look, the the in my mind, this is all sort of even. And I think between the three cards we discussed, the Scavenger, the Lantern Bearer, and the Imprisonment, it's pretty 
you know, even between those two with slight, I would probably put scavenger in third among those three, but only slightly. And I think parasitic grasp is a card I'd like to play. And so I'm going to make the tiebreaker be I'm going to stay black. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. A much weaker pack, I would say. I think the best card in the pack is Fierce Retribution. The you know cleave cost of six, destroy target creature. One and a white to destroy target attacking creature. Um, there's a you know a flourishing hunter as you know bramble worm at home for green green for the six six. When it ETBs, you gain life equal to the greatest toughness among other creatures you control. And then at uncommon, there's a catapult fodder. There's two and a black for the one five zombie. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control three or more creatures that have toughness greater than their power, you transform it to a two six. You can pay two and a black to tap, sacrifice a creature, have it deal damage equal to its toughness to target opponent. You know what I really want to do before the format's over? And I've seen this deck on the other side of the battlefield. I want to draft the red, black, steel and sack butts deck. Ooh. Like I've seen people bloody betrayal with catapult fodder and the, um, the scorpion to be able to like on turn six, steal a thing, attack, and then exploit it or sack it to the fodder. That that deck exists. It's just you have so many uncommons that have to come together, but it's there. I think catapult fodder might be better than fierce retribution. I would be pack one, pick one in catapult fodder over fierce retribution. Would you not? I don't think I would. And I like catapult fodder a lot. I just, I'm, I'm basically never drafting black green butts. And so it's going to have to be like an inherent black butts thing that maybe gets paired with other stuff. And, you know, it's not hard to do that, or it's not hard to have half a dozen cards. Like, you know, you get your Gluttonous Guests, you get your Diagraph Scavenger, maybe you have an Undead Butler. It's not hard to make that work. It's just not something that I find. I find it's most often just a three-mana one-five for me, unless, you know, the right things come together. Okay. But here's the tiebreaker, right? It's like, it's much easier now. We've got Grasp and we've got Scavenger. I'm definitely taking Fodder here over Retribution, right? Yes, 100%. They're, they're close enough cards. I think it's like close but clear for me for pack one. But now it's pack three. Let's just get deeper into black. And this decision is really going to bear out, I think, in pack one, pick four, because I remember struggling with this and then just sort of like, no, like I was like, if I were giving myself advice, this would be easy to me. So <laughs> pack one, pick four, you know, it's again, not not a very powerful pack. You've got the only black card is doomed to center. One on a black one, one when it dies, it becomes a you make a two, two zombie creature token. There's lacerate flesh. The five mana deal for excess damage makes blood tokens. I mean, I love a Selhoff and Tumor, the two mana one three uh, creature rummager in blue, but I don't want to take that as my first blue card, right? And there's Drog Skull Infantry, which I think is probably the best card here. The one on a white two two disturbs for three and a white as a plus two plus two aura. But these are not exciting cards, right? No, they're fine. And so even though Doom Descender is not really a card that I like very much outside of decks with a lot of exploit, like I shouldn't, I was about to take Drog Skull Infantry and I was like, wait, but I shouldn't be taking that as my first white card, even though I think it's better here. The power of just taking another black card, which then can make future exploit cards even better. Like what if I do see the Scorpion or what if I do get, you know, you get a Rot Tide Gargantua and now you're a little bit better set up for that kind of card. Like there are future implications of taking a card like this. I mean, maybe you could even say Undying Malice is better. That's the other black card in the pack. The the trick that when it has whenever the creature dies, it comes back with a plus and plus one counter on it. Not a card I like very much, but a card that is good. And, and if this were best of one, I think you could make an argument for. But this is the kind of pick where I think you just say, let me just get deeper into one color. Let me let me figure the rest out later. It's not that important that I like take the best card by a slight, you know, half percentage point or whatever. Yeah, it gets really interesting. Pack one, pick five. Yeah. Okay. So pack one, pick five. Best and only black card in the pack is pointed discussion. Two and a black sorcery. You draw two cards, lose two life, then create a blood token, which this is effectively sift, right? Like it's a good card. And then there's a slew of red and green cards. Best one at common is probably Weaver of Blossoms, the Mana Dork Werewolf. But there's also a Massive Might. There's a Kessick Flame Breather, Dawnheart Disciple. At Uncommon, you've got Sanguine Statuette, which I don't think is particularly good outside of, you know, the most focused aggressive red-black decks. But you've got a child of the pack here too. Two red green, two five human werewolf. Two red green, create a two two wolf creature token. That's the day bound side. On the night bound side, it's a five five with trample that has other creatures you control get plus one plus oh. I want to push back a little bit on point of discussion being an intrinsically good or powerful card. I think it is situationally good and situationally terrible. If you're behind, this is the worst card on the planet. But if you're ahead or a parody, it's fine. I, I don't know. I have not been happy with point of discussion outside of decks that have a lot of ways to gain life to offset 
like the speed bump of not affecting the board and then also losing two life. I think it's a pretty awkward card in a lot of matchups and in a lot of decks. I think there's just better ways to get card advantage through blood while still playing to the board. Yeah, I don't think it's like an incredible card or anything, but I think it's better than you're giving it credit for. I don't really want to get in the weeds over point of discussion. Like I don't feel strongly about it, but when people were like, it's sift, which it is, it's four mana, draw three, discard one effectively over, you know, installments that did put in perspective to me because I was sort of shocked at the data. I mean, I think it's out of the top three commons, but for a while it was in the top three black commons. And I was like, what in the world is happening here? And when that was given to me in, as a way to like compare it to another card, that made more sense to me. Sure. I will say this is hearsay on my part from the data, but most people are saying that it's only good in black, white, and that's pretty bad in the other color pairs, which checks out with me. Sure. Yeah, I, I that is a, a leak in my data checking game is that I often just check the color itself rather than than looking at it within each of the color pairs. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's really close between point of discussion and child of the pack, which is crazy to say, right? Because this is pack one, pick one, you immediately snap off child of the pack. Yeah, for sure. And then here, because you have all these black cards, there's a real case for point of discussion. I think personally, I would land on child of the pack because I'm greedy and I've not had great experiences with point of discussion, but I certainly can see the point of discussion. Yeah. I mean, it just felt like I just want to get out of this pack as deep into one color as possible. I'm going to say that again and again in this review. You could take child of the pack there. It's just another question that I think you want to ask yourself when you're drafting is, okay, every pick, what is the path where this card makes my deck? Right. And there's not one for child of the pack, right? It's well, it's end up pairing black with red or green. Like it's very hard for me to imagine not ending up black with this draft so far. Yes. And so then it's pairing black with red or green and splashing which is not something like it's just not something I'm doing. Like I'm barely splashing in the format. I'm not crazy about child of the pack myself. Um, I guess there is a world where child of the pack and the other red and green cards in this pack are huge signals that red and green is open and red green specifically is open that you should spec on this here and be willing to abandon your four black cards because you know, the only, the only real big draw you have is parasitic grasp. Right. And so you don't want to get married to a color for a, a efficient good removal spell so i think you could make a case for child of the pack i just really like taking point of discussion here because it's a card that i'm happy to play and just again gives me outs to let me get out of this pack as deep into black as i can and then hopefully open and reap the rewards of a powerful card in pack two or three right and i think child of the pack i'm not saying it's the right pick for sure like i i respect the point of discussion pick here because you keep your draft much more straightforward right you are way more flexible and have way more clear direction in your picks than you do if you take child of the pack because what do you do if you take child of the pack here and then next pack you see i don't know like you do you start to pivot away from these black cards because then you're doing two things and it's hard to do that at the same time right i don't know it's tough it's tough so i landed on the point of discussion and then i i really was happy with how this Pack one rounded out. I got a grizzly ritual next. Then I got a persistent specimen. And then I got a gift of fangs. And like none of these cards are insanely good, but these are all cards that can make my main deck. And now I have eight of eight picks in one color. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So that is an example of a way to, I think, navigate a draft of just taking slight concessions or maybe in the child of the pack pick a large concession in terms of power just to grant myself flexibility down the road in terms of what I have thought a possibility of opening. Yeah, this has been good. I feel like I have some things clearer in my head <laughs> for myself. And I see the types of picks I'm wanting to make that are making my drafts maybe harder than they need to be or that I'm mentally making them harder than they need to be. But the rares do complicate things. The rares do complicate things. Yeah, I mean, the, the draft you had yesterday where you ended up in just the nutso black red deck with would you have triple blood tithe harvester? Yes. On stream? At the end of it, you were like, oh, I'm glad you were like, give me some thoughts because I think I would have ended up in a messier spot. And I was like, I don't don't feel like I did anything super helpful. But it sounded like you said you, you would have ended up in maybe a little Grixis soup life. Yeah, it was just helpful to have you there as a little conscience on my shoulder. Like, should I do this? What what am I <laughs> thinking here? What are you thinking here? It was just yeah. very nice. <laughs> yeah. So grab yourselves a friend, everyone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, this is this is a good, I think, a really good style of episode for this kind of format. And can, you know, you can take this to future sets as well. The, these concepts are going to hold over when we have, this is not the last set that's going to be full of 
the bombiest bombs or whatever. We're going to see this again in limited, not in the not too distant future, I'm sure. Yeah, 100%. All right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, signing up for CFB Pro to read our articles, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can also check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same username on Twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks everybody. See you later. What about okay. wedding invitation? Is that the or is that the common? Yeah, I think that's wedding announcement is the rare, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're not gonna jump ship for wedding invitation. <laughs> what about the what about this colorless cantrip? What about wedding ceremony? I keep running into that one specifically. And it's super powerful, game warping when it hits the battlefield, but it like am I supposed to derail my draft for that? So, sorry, sorry, I'm gonna make, it's wedding announcement. Did I say ceremony again? Yeah. Wait, it is wedding announcement. You said wedding invitation. I don't oh. know what wedding ceremony is. <laughs> oh, not a magic <laughs> and card. And the card okay. is wedding announcement. <laughs> okay, I got you. Sorry, fam. And we've got our outtake. <laughs> All right.